This morning we're going to be in John 3.16. It's a common verse that you all have heard before. However, it's a verse that I picked today because we are on the verge of Community Fun Fest. And then shortly after Community Fun Fest, we go to Night the Light. Night the Light. I always want to say Night the Light. Light the Night, where we put hot dogs out on the, on the front porch and we give out that candy that the kids are selling after church with a little sticker on it that says, um, members of uh, Faith Church bought you that. And then we go straight from light to night to basically, uh, we have like November to catch our breath a little bit. And then we go to a live nativity, first time in, in, in the years of Faith Church that we're going to try this. And uh, it's already being promoted. If you go to Crossroads Restaurant starting in November, it's on their, uh, on their placemat. Um, and so we are, we are starting to promote that. So you need to invite people. I will put more stuff in the bulletin when it gets a little bit closer, probably in the next couple of weeks, um, and let you know about that. And then we move straight from the, the live nativity to Christmas Eve services and Christmas Eve Eve service that we started doing now. And also Christmas Day is now a service um, because it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I'm looking forward to that weekend. Um, I'm looking forward to Monday when I can sleep in um, is what I'm looking forward to. But uh, uh, and then New Year's Day is also a, a Sunday. Uh, I just want you to know, for those that haven't marked their calendars, I put it out on Facebook and I also put it out on email. But it is a 9.30 start here at Faith Church on both Christmas Day and New Year's Day. There will be no Christian education. Now you may say, well, 9.30 wasn't one of our options well, you'd kind of tied between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock, and I didn't know how to break the tie other than to say, we'll split it halfway, and we'll say that we're going to go 9.30. So uh, that's how I came up with 9.30, because you all did not make the decision for me. Um, it actually was very close between 9 o'clock start and a 10 o'clock start, and so I made a 9.30 start to kind of break the tie. So that is what time we will be starting on Christmas Day and New Year's Day. So you might want to mark your calendars for that. No Christian education that day. We hope you can come. I know Christmas Day is crazily busy, but uh, I got to be honest with you. Even with a four-year-old and a eight-month-old, uh, eight-month-old, five-month-old, yeah, five-five-year-old and a eight-month-old. Yes, there we go. I got them mixed up. Um, I got to be honest, there, I don't believe Jesus would want us anywhere else than to worship him. I will keep that service to very, very, very short. Um, I'm not going to promise you 10 minutes, but I will promise you that you will be out within the hour of 9.30 to 10.30. Um, so uh, that will happen, and you can stick me to it. And if I keep on preaching after 10.30 that day, get up and walk out. Um, you have all permission, because I'm telling you, you're going to be out before that 10.30 mark. Um, because I want to keep it short. I know it's a busy day, but I believe strongly that we need to be here and worshiping our Lord on that day. So anyway, that's my little pitch for the day. I didn't mean to go into welcome and announcements again. So Jesus calls all of us to come and follow him. And when he do, when we, when he, when we do, he will make us into fishers of men. I don't know if you realize that when you became a Christian, you had more for you. He had more for us to do than just show up and hang out at church. 
He wanted us to take what we had been given and share it with others so that they could be blessed. But sometimes the idea of having to share with someone about Jesus Christ and who He is and what He's done can be very scary. And I believe that one of the main reasons it is scary is we've made it extremely complicated. We've made sharing our faith so complicated that sometimes we get mixed up on what we're supposed to say, when we're supposed to say it, and we wonder, did I just use the correct verse? Over the years, I remember hearing about such evangelism training tools like Evangelism Explosion. Maybe you or some of you are familiar with that. It's when you knock on someone's door and the very first question out of your mouth, it would not go over in 2016, is if you were to die today, where would you go? I think sometimes today, if you tried to do that, they would say, well, where would you go? If you catch what I'm saying, where would you go? Evangelism explosion was popular in the 70s and 80s and in the, even into the 90s when I was in college we had to memorize the evangelism explosion outline to the to the nth degree in order to pass evangelism class we had to have it all down pat if I remember that had church people gathering for training sessions and then one night a week heading out into their communities knocking on doors to share the gospel they had memorized I I printed off that general outline back in that day, and it's still available to today. I checked on Google. Back in the early 90s, there was another training tool known as Share Jesus Without Fear. I Googled it the other day. If you want to do that training for their site, you can listen to 10 to 11 taped segments of 6 to 10 minutes each, and you'll be able to learn how to share Jesus without fear. I also remember the five-finger exercise we were taught as kids, and I don't mean the five-finger discount. There was the Roman road method you could use, and then there was the ABC method standing for if you accept Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, and if you choose Jesus, you will be saved. I heard a pastor, I heard of a pastor who sent out a question asking what materials are used, using, uh, what material churches are using to train its members to be evangelistic. Here's the only reply he received, and I thought it was a good one. So I want to read to you what he received. Here's what it said. Okay, this person replied, lots of good material out there, he wrote, but it is useless, in my opinion, without the Brown's theory on the distraction and removal of venomous serpents in close quarter environments. So here's what Brown's theory is, and I'm going to have them put up the next slide, just the first part of the next slide. No, no, oh yeah, I guess it's all going to come up together. Um, but here's, here's what Brown's theory is. Let us say you're in college and need one hour of credit to fill out your semester and graduate. So you take herpetology, which is a global history of communal encounters, 101. You learn the history of snakes and, and, and the genre of snakes and the care and the feeding of North American species and subspecies and finally the future of snakes in a post-modernal society. This is a one-hour course on Tuesday mornings at 7.30 a.m. That's one level of interest, isn't it? Yeah, you get to learn all about these snakes and everything else. 
However, if you wake up one morning at 7.30 in the morning and find a seven-foot western timber rattlesnake, which is pictured for you, has entered your house, slithered into your bedroom, and now resides on the pillow next to your head. You carefully pick up the phone and you call 911 and the operator tells you how to survive. That's a whole nother level of heightened state of interest, is it not? Here's the bottom line. The response said, putting people on the front line of evangelism in any form during the intellectual process enforces the learning curve. Look, I can sit here and talk to you until I'm blue in the face about evangelism. I can talk to you in Sunday school class. I can share all these great and wonderful products. But until you face somebody face to face and ask them about their relationship with Jesus, there's no interest. Let's be real. Until someone comes to you and says, hey, I know you go to Faith Church. How do you know that you're going to heaven someday? How do you know that you have a relationship with Jesus? Until there's that front line, the rattlesnake is laying right beside you on the pillow, there is no interest. Just isn't. One of the reasons why people we love have rejected Christianity is because they don't understand it. And that's because people like you and me have complicated it. But you see, the gospel isn't complicated and it isn't, and fishing for, for men and women isn't that complicated either. In fact, the amazing thing about the gospel is that everybody, red, yellow, black, or white, young, old, rich, poor, Republican, Democrat, Tea Party, Independent, Libertarian, no matter who or what you are, the amazing thing is, is that we all get in the same way. And it's extremely simple. But people, Christians like you and me, have made it sound extremely complicated. And because of that, many have rejected what they think is Christianity. When in reality, they don't understand what Christianity is to even reject it. This morning, here's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping to, what I'm hoping to do is to provide a simple idea so that you will be able to answer two questions when the subject comes up between you and a friend and a coworker and a family member or whomever. And let's look at those two questions. They're the same question, just worded differently. Here's the first question on the next slide. What does a person need to know to become a Christian? And what does a person need to do to become a Christian? And so an easier way to ask that same question is this. What do you have to know and what do you have to do? Now the answer to these questions are simple. But oftentimes we make it extremely complicated. We get wrapped up in the, did it really take six days to create the world? Or did Adam really have a belly button? After all, he wasn't born. Did a man 
he was made from God. Did a man really live in a belly of a whale for three days? Is it premillennial? Is it amillennial? Or postmillennial when it comes to the end of the world? I prefer, and we used to talk about it at seminary all the time, panmillennial. Because here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's all going to pan out in the end. And Jesus wins. But in the end, it's really simple to provide the answers to what does a person need to know and what do they have to do to become a Christian. So we're going to look at John 3.16 in just a minute. This is one of, of, of the Scripture passages, the most famous of them all. Do you know preschoolers can recite it? Football fans paint it boldly across their cardboard signs. I almost said chest. Or on their shirts that they wear to games. This verse, this verse became a Google sensation in 2009. What happened in 2009? Following the national championship game to which Tim Tebow of the, of the Florida Gators wore this scripture on his eye black. Underneath his eye it said John 3.16. For those of you who are pro football fans, you'll remember the stir that 3.16 got a couple years ago in Denver's wind over Pittsburgh in the playoffs. Again, Tim Tebow at the center of the story threw for, get this, 316 yards that day. He completed 10 passes that day for an average of 31.6 yards per catch. Kind of weird. Do you know that that, after that game and after the the Florida game and the national championship, that 90 million people typed into Google John 3.16? I'll repeat that. After the national championship game, when Tim Tebow wore it on his eye black, And after the Denver win over Pittsburgh, 90 million people typed into Google John 3.16. Now for those that are not computer savvy, let me tell you what you use Google for. You usually use Google when you don't know something. Let me repeat that. You usually use Google when you don't know something. Many of you shook your heads when I said preschoolers memorize it. People at church know it. Yet 90 million people had to check it out. Tell me again how all of our friends are Christians and our nation is a Christian nation. They don't even know John 3.16. Fill me in again. 90 million hits on this verse. 90 million. Listen to what others have said about this verse. It'll be up on the screen as well. Mac Powell of the, of the, of the, the band Third Day said these words, I have John 3.16 because it, I love John 3.16 because it is the gospel in a nutshell. It shares God's great love for us and our great need for Him. Uh, Ernie Johnson, who is a TNT sportscaster, said, John 3.16 is the foundation of my faith, a picture of undeserved, unconditional, and unwavering love from a father for his kids. 
And then Jeff Foxworthy, the comedian, said these words, this is the promise that gives hope for the hopeless. When we finally realize I can't do this on my own, this is the Father responding. I know, so I've done it for you. And then Max Lucado, who you will hear from on the night of worship if you come. If you know nothing of the Bible, begin here. If you know everything of the Bible, return here. This is the hope diamond of the Scripture. I'm hoping that you'll be able to take this one verse and be able to explain it to someone that they need to know what they need to do to become a Christian. I'm hoping this one verse will help each of us become more comfortable, more bold, more confident in sharing our faith. One verse, and in that verse, four words that I'm hoping will give you the confidence to sit down with anyone, anywhere, and say, here's what you need to know. And here's what you've got to do. But first, and we'll get there, we have to cover a few things regarding becoming a Christian. Here's the first thing. Number one, becoming a Christian is not about attending church. That's a blank. You'll want to fill it in on your sermon outline if you're following along. Becoming a Christian is not about attending church. Some of you may find that hard to believe, but just because you are here on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings, attending church, although good, isn't good, isn't going to make you a Christian any more than sleeping in a garage is going to make you a car. Not going to happen. Look, I, I like to say it, standing in a garage doesn't make you a mechanic. I prove that every day. I stand in our garage, and if you put, popped the hood and showed me what was under our hood, I'd be like, yeah, um, take it to a garage. So I'm no mechanic. I don't understand any of it. See, we have to be careful what we put. It's important. Yeah, it's important, and, and if you're truthfully a believer in Jesus Christ, you will want to grow, and you will want to be here, but it's not... What makes you a Christian? Also, becoming a Christian isn't about getting your life together or straightening up either. Again, becoming a Christian isn't about getting your life together or straightening up either. That's a reason or excuse a lot of folks use. And maybe you're one of them that they have to get their life together. They've got to get things straightened up or before they can become a Christian. Don't think you'll find that excuse of of that requirement in the Bible anywhere. In fact, Jesus blows our mind when who does he call to be one of his disciples This dude that's named after, or my nephew's named after, called Matthew. And guess what Matthew's doing when Jesus says, Hey Matthew, come on out of there and come and be my disciple. He's ripping you and me right out of money. He's sitting in his tax collector's booth. And Jesus walks up and he doesn't say, Look, Hey, look, you need to repent of all the stealing you've been doing. You need to pay back every debt that you stole. He doesn't go into this list of stuff that we want him to go into because that's what we make it about. No, what he says is he goes, come on out of here and be my disciple. Follow me. Watch me. Learn from me. And so Jesus proves this point by saying, look, you don't have to straighten up. You don't have to get your act together. Follow me. 
And then last, next slide, becoming a Christian isn't about praying a prayer either. I want to be careful here. Unfortunately, there are many in our world who were raised that way and who now believed if I could just get my kids or my friends to pray a prayer, that they'll be a Christian. Just like there's no example of a person having to get their life straightened out before they become a Christian, there's also no example found in the Bible of someone praying a prayer to become a Christian. Now, there is examples where someone prays and then they become a Christian. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's no sinner's prayer that we like to use today. It's not there. We try to say it is. Try to find it. Philip and the eunuch. It's not there. It's not about saying a prayer. And what happened in the evangelical congregational church, and we just talked about this at Bible study on Wednesday night, was we got so good at telling people, come to the auto rail, say a prayer, get up, you have Christ, you have fire insurance, you're not going to hell, you're not going to burn forever. Great and wonderful. Well, what happened was we have no leaders now. Why? Because no one made them get into this. It was all about a simple prayer. Say a prayer, you're saved. You don't got to lead anybody. And now we're reaping the benefits. That's why when we come home from National Conference, you don't hear anything about hardly anything except for discipleship. And you get tired of hearing it. I got to grow. I got to go and be a part of a small group. I got to go do this. I got to go do that. And you get tired of hearing it. It's for your good. Because a prayer doesn't do it. You got to be in it. And you got to be in it together. Learning from one another. Learning that, hey, listen, I tried this. It didn't work. Okay, I'm not going to try that because June tried that and it didn't work. But if I don't sit in Bible study with June, I don't know what June tried and what she didn't. And so we learn and we grow from one another and we, and we challenge one another. There's more coming on that in 2017, believe me, because as you can see, I'm passionate about it. Do you see how we've distorted and complicated the process of becoming a Christian? So let's take a look at John 3.16. You're all finally saying, finally, we're getting there. Let's see what a person needs to know and what they have to do. Here's the first thing looking at John 3.16. God so loved. First word. God so loved. First part of that verse says, for God so loved. There's our first word. God loved. Do you know when people who are not Christians need to know? They need to know that a holy God loves them. They need to know that a God who, yes, demands justice, yes, demands that we follow His principles, not rules, principles, loves them. And that's why He demands us to follow His principles. He loves our nation so much. He loves the entire world so much, and this is what this Scripture passage has taught me, that He's given us principles to follow. And when we get away from those principles, look out. We're in danger. I don't need to sound the alarm. I think everybody in this room already knows. 
We're going far from those principles. Look out. We're in danger. And what an unbelieving world needs to know is, look, God loves you. Look, I know it's hard to understand that. It's hard to grasp that. But God loves you. It's His story. The Bible is His story pouring out His love upon His creation. But unfortunately, some don't see it that way. And they're trying to run from God. They are running from God because their fear for Him is like King Kong destroying everything in its path. And there it is on the screen. King Kong is going after... I have their names written here because I didn't want to, I did, I didn't want to, uh, mess them up. If, if you're older, um, hang on a second. Let me make sure I get this right. Everything in its path to get to Fay Ray for those of you who are a little older. I don't remember any of these names or Naomi Watts for those of us who are a little younger. King Kong went after them. But what did King Kong go after them for? They thought he was going after them and the world thought he was going after them to kill them. I mean, think about it. A big beast like that is coming after you. And they thought that it was, it was the worst thing that they, that they were being pursued by King Kong. When really deep down inside, King Kong was a loving King Kong. He wanted the best for them. And in fact, if you can't see it in his hands right now, is one of them. Because he loved them. Do you understand that your friends who do not believe, who do not get it, they don't get it because they see God as King Kong coming after them. Don't give me any more of that God business. He's pursuing you. Yeah, I know He's pursuing me to make my life a living hell. No. He's pursuing you because He loves you. And like King Kong, God gets this bad rap. Bad rap. And it's our job to go out and say, no, 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 no. You have the wrong opinion. God loves you. And like King Kong, He wants to take you in His hands and love on you. Max Lucado puts it this way in his book, Just the Way You Are. And you've heard this before. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If He had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, He'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe. And He chose your heart. So your friend comes up to you who's unsaved, who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I don't like the word unsaved anymore. They're basically not a Christ follower. It's, 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 it's better to say it that way. They, just, they, don't, they don't know Christ and they come up to you and the first thing you need to tell them is, listen, look, before we go anywhere else in this conversation, let me tell you something. God loves you. Let's just get that out on the table. 
before we start any of the rest of this conversation, let's just get out on the table that God loves you so much that if your picture, if he had a refrigerator in heaven, which who knows he might, um, he has a picture of you on it. If he had a wallet, he'd have your picture in it. He sends you flowers every spring, and he could live anywhere in the universe, and he chose your heart. That's how much he loves you. So God loved. But then the verse goes on. He gave. He gave. Next slide, please. And here's the scripture passage. That he gave his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave. You want to know what people do that love? They give. Point. I remember reading about this boy who was in love with this girl. And he wrote this really sappy love letter, and I'm going to just make it up off the top of my head because it's not really in my notes this morning. It was all about loving Jesus or loving this lady. I love you so much. I love you so much. I, I would give anything for you. And he went on and on and on with all this sappy business. And then at the end, he signed the letter, P.S. It's raining. I'll see you tomorrow. Can I tell you, sometimes that's a love letter we write to God. Isn't it? God? I love you with all my heart. You can tell me to do anything and I'll do it. Tell me, tell me to run, walk the oceans and I'll do it. Tell me to do this and I'll do it. Tell me to do this, I'll do it. P.S. God, it's raining. I'll talk to you tomorrow. But God doesn't do that to us. See, in John 3.16 it says, For God so loved that He gave. And He gave unselfishly. He didn't give out of what he was going to get. I believe there are two things that wholeheartedly make a pastor who he is. And why am I talking about this? Because this is about giving. And here's the first one. The pastor's wife. She doesn't know this is going on today, by the way. I snuck it in there without her knowing. Let me tell you something. Michelle Kindig gives unselfishly. I can't tell you how many hundreds of times through a year we have just sat down. Supper is on the table. Phone rings. I got to go. Not one complaint. It'll be warm when you get home. Not everybody can say that in the pastorate. You want to know why I'm who I am? It's God, first of all. But it's her, a close second. She gives because she loves She loves the church enough to sit at home some nights and eat by herself. She loves the church enough to be there even when she has thousands of other things she should be doing. 
She gives because she loves. God gave because he loves. The second part of that is all the rest of you. No, no, no. Go back to the... You can go back to that screen with Michelle and I. Um, I know you want to get it off the screen as soon as possible, but that's okay. Um, we'll scare the mice away while we're here. On that side, not this side, yeah. Um, but uh, all that being said is you guys. Look, I remember Bishop Kevin standing up in front of the whole church, uh, in front of the whole denomination saying, you know, Boyertown Church didn't become Boyertown Church because of Pastor Kevin, nor did it become Pastor did it become Boyertown Church the way Boyertown Church was with the, the numbers of people, the, the staff, and all those things because of pa- Bishop uh, Kevin's wife? It became Boyertown Church because the church got behind the vision of Pastor Kevin and they did it. Look, I'm nothing. I can set a vision and you all can say, I'll tell you what to do with that vision, Pastor Brett. It's your choice. I'm nothing. I can set visions, but the congregation has to give because they love. Because they love the church. Because they love the people in it. God gave because He loved. You don't need to be able to list the books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You don't need to know how many are in the Old Testament and how many are in the New Testament. You don't need to know that Adam and Eve were the first of God's human creation and that they had three sons. And you don't need to know how they found wives. You ever ponder that one? How did those three sons find wives when they were from Adam and Eve who were the first created You don't need to know that Methuselah was the oldest man to ever live. And you don't have to know that Noah built the ark. You know what you do have to know? You have to know God loved the world so much that He gave His only Son. Period. Sure, it's great to know how many books are in the Bible. It's great to know how the Old Testament matches up with the New Testament. It's great to know all those things. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we do this stuff. But when it comes down to it, You have to know that God so loved the world that He gave His Son. You don't have to know all that other stuff. It's good to know. You don't have to. You know what it's like to chase someone, don't you? You ever had to chase after a kid who escaped the classroom? Or who was headed towards you, towards the street from your yard. You go running after them and they look back going, oh no, here comes King Kong. They take off running thinking it's a game when in reality you are trying to save them from the danger that is there that they don't see. See, that's what God did. What God did was He ran after us. If Freddie starts to head for North Temple Boulevard and I see a car coming, I'm going to boogie after him as fast as this body can boogie. And if he thinks it's a game and he goes running out into the traffic, there's going to be a disastrous ending to this story. 
The reason why John 3.16 is so important in our world is because our world is running. God is standing out there and He's saying, look world, look um, um, culture, look politics, look um, uh, uh, church, look people who are in Hollywood. I love you so much that I came to give. And instead of turning around and embracing that giving, they think it's a game. Stay away. Stay away. And sooner or later, the game is going to catch up with them. It's going to be too late. What about you? Are you helping those who think it's a game to realize it's not? Or are you saying that gentleman sitting next to me at Dunkin' Donuts, that's the last thing he wants to hear? Is it? Maybe he just lost a girlfriend that meant the world to him, or a wife. And the best thing he could hear is God loves him. I want you to do something with me. I don't ask you to repeat things too much, but I want you to repeat these two things with me. I want you to just simply say, and say it with luster. Say it with enthusiasm. I just want you to say, God loved. Ready? Go ahead. And then I want you to say, God gave. gave. There you go. You're on the track. You are evangelists. Congratulations, you passed the class. That's all you need. God loved, God gave. God loved, God gave. And the world needs to hear this, 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 this story. That's as simple as it is. God loved, God gave. But then we go on to the next question, which is the answer to the second question, which is this. Now, what about the answer to the question of what do we have to do to become a Christian? And so then I'm going to just flip really quickly into the second half of the verse. And here's what it says. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him. And so the third word is believe. So God gave, God loved, God gave, and now we believe. And so John 3.16 leads us to a perfect evangelistic message. It says God loved God gave, and what we have to do is believe. So, who does a person have to, what does a person have to do to become a Christian? They have to believe in. It's not just believe in. In James 2.19, here's what it says. It tells us that a demon, and Satan himself, even believes in God. So when we go out and we say, all you have to do is believe in God. Well, half the universe believes in God. No, 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 no. That's not what we exactly mean in John 3.16. Here's what the Greek means. It's going to fly up on the screen. The Greek phrase means trust in. If you take the Greek words that believe in in John 3.16, you really get the words trust in. Now, why is that important? Because I can ask, I can pull somebody off the sidewalk here this, this morning if they were walking by our church, and I can say to them, listen, do you believe in God? And they're most likely going to say, well, yeah. 
Yeah, I believe in God. Now, unless they're an atheist, they're going to say that. And why does James say that to his church? Because James wants to be clear. Listen, believing in God, so what? Even demons believe in God. They shudder when you say his name. (laughs) Yeah, believe in God, that's easy. Now we get to the real push. And the words in John 3.16, and remember what the context of John 3.16 is. Nicodemus, who's a ruler of the world, a ruler of the church, who's a teacher of the church, is talking to Jesus at nighttime. It's, it's the first Nick at night, Nickelodeon at night. Um, and there's Nicodemus, and there he is, and he's talking to Jesus, and Jesus, he wants to know what it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, now get this. A teacher in the church is talking to Jesus at night about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Isn't that whacked? I ain't a teacher in the church. Don't we usually make sure they're saved before they teach? So he's having this conversation and he's talking. And Jesus says to him, listen, you got to believe in. And when he says he means, what he means is, he means trust in. That means if all the cards are down, not that you're betting people or gambling people, but if all the cards are against you, you got Jesus. If if the world is falling apart, you got Jesus. If, If your world seems to be coming apart at the seams, you got Jesus. That's what it means. It doesn't mean believe in. We can all believe in Him. We believe in the Santa Claus. We believe in Easter Bunny. We believe in all these people. That's okay to believe in. I don't know about Santa Claus and Easter Bunny, but anyway, um, you, you get what I'm getting at. But to trust Him. To trust Him. Now we're getting serious. That means if the adoption doesn't go through, we got Jesus. That's trust. Believe in. Adoption can go through and our world is ended. Trust in. The adoption doesn't go through and we got Jesus. We will continue to move on. Catch the difference? Believe in. Something happens. Your world falls apart. Trust in something happens. Oh, it hurts. It hurts hard. But your world doesn't fall apart. I have a feeling there are a lot of people who believe in Jesus. They just don't trust Him. That's a problem. So we have to be clear here. What does it mean? It means believe. What we have to do to become a Christian is believe in, trust in Jesus Christ. The idea seems contrary to our instincts, doesn't it? It's too simple. Sounds too easy. We expect a more complicated cure, a more sophisticated salvation. We believe we have to do more because that's the way the world we live in operates. Isn't it? Well, I got to do more. I mean, God, the, the holy God could not accept me if I just trust him with my life. Come on, pastor. You got 
There's got to be a contract I have to sign. There's got to be a certain amount of money I have to give. There's got to be this. There's got to be that. Because that's the way the world talks. Throw the cash. But you know what God says? I don't need you. I want you. I love you. So you want to throw your cash at me? Go ahead. You ain't buying your way into my salvation. You want to act like you're a tough person? You want to act like you're a higher up? Go ahead. But you ain't getting in unless you trust. Unless you trust. I'm reminded of the story concerning Betty Crocker, um, Betty Crocker cake mixes, which is pictured on the screen. When they first came out with this product, all one had to do was add water to the mix. That was provided, and bam, you had a cake. I wish they still had that. Of course, this instant mix was foreign to many cooks who made their cakes from scratch using flour, lard, and eggs, and whatever else they had to get to put in there to make a cake baked then. There was no way one could make as good of a cake with this box mix and some water. And because of this mindset, the mixes didn't sell. Some research was done by Betty Crocker or her team in an attempt to improve sales. And you know what they came up with as a solution? Just add a couple of eggs. That was it. Once they changed the mix and had people add eggs and water... The mixes flew off the shelves. It was too simple. Many thought. It was too easy. It can't be good if all you have to do is add water. So one simple additional ingredient. And look at where Betty Crocker is today. Unfortunately, many view Christianity that way as well. Got to do this. Got to do that. Got to add water. Got to add eggs. Got to add this, got to add that. It's too simple just to say, believe in, trust in. Max Lucado has said, God rewards those who seek him, not those who seek doctrine or religion or systems or creeds. Many settle for these lesser passions, but the reward goes to those who settle for nothing less than Jesus himself pretty powerful last part of this verse shall not perish but have eternal life that last word is have so God loved God gave we believe we trust in And we have. Looking at the last part of the verse. God loved, God gave, we believe in, and because of that we have. And look at what John says we have. We have eternal life. Eternal life. What comes to mind for you when you think of eternal life? I think of chubby little angels and beautiful sunsets and wonderful times in heaven with golden streets. And I yearn for the day when Jesus says, Church, come be with me because I'm tired of this world getting at us. 
But here's the deal. John doesn't mean that at all. What? You know when eternal life starts? Right now. You have an opportunity to to serve the King of Kings on earth. And we read this verse and we say, oh, I can't wait to pass away. Or I mean, that sounds kind of harsh. But we can't wait to get there. We can't wait for Him to come back for us. We can't do this. We can't wait for that. We can't wait for this. You got it. You got it right now. You don't have to wait. Because you have. You have eternal life. It doesn't say when they die, they will have. It doesn't say they have to wait for a certain thing to happen. What it says is, if you believe in, if you trust in, you have. Not tomorrow, not today, not, not today, two hours from now, right now. God loved. God gave. We believe. We have. The next scripture, next uh, slide is an encouragement to you. If I picked out different people, and you can throw them up there on the screen, Mike, if you'd like. If I picked out different people, these guys represent you. Some of you are pink people. Some of you are blue people. Red people, yellow people, green people, whatever. I had a bunch of different stick figures that came up when I typed in stick figure. Can I tell you something? Every one of your stories is going to look different. I tire very quickly of hearing church members who say, but my story is not like Ken's story. My story is not like Michelle's story. My story is not like Trevor's story. No. It's not. Because it's their story. And you have your own story. And somewhere along the line, you realize that God loves you. You realize that God gave His Son for you. You realize that you have to put your trust in Him. And you realize that you have eternal life. Now, how do you tell that story to others? You go to John 3.16 and say, look, at one time, I realized that God loved me. The God of the universe. And then I realized that He not only loved me, but because He loved me, He gave His one and only Son for my sins. And then I realized that not, not, it's not just good enough that He gave and that He loved, but then I have to believe in or trust in Him. And because I believe and trust in Him, I now have eternal life. What did that take me? Ten seconds? You don't got the time to share it with the guy next to you at Dunkin' Donuts or McDonald's? Ten seconds. Look, one time in my life, God made it abundantly clear that He loved me. And then He 
He showed me that He gave His Son. And if I was the only person on this entire earth, He would have gave Him for me. And then He asked me, will you trust in me? Because like a Christmas present, it's no good unless you open the present. I mean, if you want to sit and let your presents unwrap this year, go ahead, but you're going to offend every one of your family members. And then it goes on. I have because I gave. Or because He gave. And some of you may reach, next slide, a small group of people, small crowd of people. It's the first picture. Some of you may reach a big crowd of people. Some of you may reach um, one person. Excuse me, that's that, yeah. And some of you may reach someone that you don't even know you reached. Because they watched you. And they learned from you. Long story short, I come from Dover, Pennsylvania. Last, last Friday night, we went to a Conrad Weiser game to watch Dover, Pennsylvania, Dover's team take on Conrad Weiser. They got their butts kicked, but that's besides the point. So we went out there. It's freezing cold. We watched the game. I'm in communications on Facebook with this person about this game, um, and it's the, it's the coach of Dover's football's mom that I'm talking to. And all of a sudden, this lady, who I don't even know, chir- she chirps in and she goes, I remember Brett Kindig. He was in my Sunday school class in preschool. And I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> Where's this going? She went on to say, and I hear he's preaching the Word still. Well, praise the Lord. How did she hear that? Because I certainly haven't preached the Word in front of her How does she know what I'm doing? I wrote back to her and said, I don't remember you. I'm sorry. My mom informed me last night when we were out to eat that I did in fact have her as a preschool teacher. Point here is this. People are watching even when you don't know it. Adults and children alike. We always say it about children. They're watching when you don't know it. But adults do too. You never know who you will reach. You never know what might happen. And then comes the coolest part of this conversation with Jesus, and we're going to end on this note. In verse 17, he goes on and he says, Listen, Nicodemus. Now I told you, God loved you. God gave His Son for you. I told you that you need to trust in Him. And you need to, and then you will have eternal life if you trust in Him. But here's what I want you to know. Nicodemus, God did not send His Son, me, into the world, Jesus speaking, to condemn you guys that are teaching false facts. But what he sent him in the world for was to save you guys.
Faith Church, God did not send His Son into the world to make people feel bad about what they're doing. That's why when I hear about people in Christ's name going out to abortion clinics and blowing them up, I want to plaster John 3.17 on their cars. You're not winning the battle by making them feel bad. God did not come to condemn. He came to save. He came to love them to Himself. You're not winning the battle by holding signs up that condemn lifestyles. You're not. What you're doing is you're going back to the beginning of this sermon. And you're showing a Christianity that is not true. Is not of Christ. So I want to leave you on John 3.17 and I want you to know that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, to make people feel bad about what they're doing. They already feel bad enough. I've told the story, but I'll tell it again in closing. The blue church where I served before here, I used to preach a very passionate sermon against abortion because I am against abortion because my life could have been ended by abortion. They had every right to do it. So I'm passionate about it. I used to put people down that did that such thing, and I used to really get hammered on that point. I used to nail it every time that Sunday came around. Until in membership class one Sunday, I asked the question, what are things that you see at Faith Church or at Blue Church that you would like to see changed around? Good old Bonnie raised her hand. She said, Pastor, a couple weeks ago you had a sermon and I didn't show up. I said, why? So I've had an abortion. And the last thing I want to hear from my pastor is how horrible I am because I already know it. From that day forward, I haven't changed my opinion of abortion. But I sure as heck don't preach on it like I used to. Because you see, God didn't come to condemn. He came to save. What Bonnie needed to hear was not another word about how horrible what she did was. What she needed to hear was God loved. God gave. And if you trust in Him, you will have. That's what Bonnie needed to hear. And so I want you to understand that when I bring this message, it is powerful to me. Because I have lightened up on a lot of things. Now, when I say I've lightened up, you talk to me in private. You ask me where I stand on certain things. I don't water it down. But I am not going to make someone feel worse for something they already feel horrible about. When God's Word Himself says, I came to save them. I didn't come to give them a kick in the pants. And so that's where I stand. And so when, I, when you walk out of here, what I want you to do this week, I want you to be very intentional this week, just this week, I I want Faith Church to do this and just see what might happen. What might happen if we pray, all of us start to pray, Lord, give me one encounter this week 
where I can share with someone, and it, and it might be the weirdest encounter in the world. It might be in the line at Burger King waiting for a burger. I don't really go to fast food restaurants that much. I know I'm talking about them a lot today, but I don't. But let's say, let's say you're in line for Starbucks coffee. You're in line for something. You're, I mean, that's a little expensive for me. But anyway, um, you're, 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 you're in the store. And you just ask God when you go into the store, God, give me one encounter. Just one encounter where I can share God loved, God gave. And if you'll trust in Him, you'll have. Just one encounter. I'm not asking you to pray with that person. I'm not asking you to say, you know, would you like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior now? I'm asking you to have the encounter and see where it leads. Just share that message with one person. And you might have the opportunity Friday night. Don't wait for Friday night. If you have the opportunity before then, take it. But maybe it'll be a community member that's walking around here and you're able to pull them off to the side and say, can I just share something with you? I just, I just have these four points that I really want to share with you this morning, this after this evening. I, I just want you to know, God loves you. And because He loves you, He gave His Son for you. And because He gave His Son for you, if you would just trust in Him, you'll have eternal life. And that starts now. You don't have to worry. Paid for. But don't forget 17. He doesn't want you to be condemned. He wants you to come to know Him. He knows you don't need another kick in the pants. He knows you need His love. Let's take that serious. Let's ask ourselves one encounter. Just one. And see what might happen if we take Him up on it. Who knows? An entire company might come to know Jesus. Who knows? A worship service could belt out in giant aisle number four if you start to share this story. God could move in powerful ways. Let's close in a word of prayer together. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for this day. For this reminder that You loved that you gave, that you gave. That if we trust in, we will have. But there's ifs with the love and the gave. Those are on us. And Lord, I am not naive enough to believe that everybody who's in the sound of my voice has heard and received this message. Maybe we've hung on believe in. Sure, it's easy to answer, I believe in God. Your Word tells us even the demons say that. Maybe we need to trust in Jesus. Lord, I pray that if You're pounding on anybody's heart door today, and if You're saying, have You truthfully trusted in Me? Not believed in trusted in me 
that they make it right before the end of the night. They come to you. That they believe that you and trust in that you loved and you gave. And then, Lord, that they will have. Lord, I also pray for our encounters. I also am not naive enough to believe, but I hope everybody here does take up on that encounter. And Lord, I hope that You will open doors that we would never ask or imagine. I hope that one minute we'll be sitting at a doctor's office and next minute we'll be in a discussion about the God of the universe loving that person. I hope that one minute we'll be standing in line at Giant to check out and the next minute we'll be talking about the God of the universe who loves us so much that He gave His one and only Son. I hope and pray that's what happens this week through all of us taking this story and going out and sharing this story. For Lord, it's in your name we pray this all. Amen. As we go from this place today, let us never forget that Christ is at the foundation of all that we are and all we do. Let the world see that we are Christians. Be proud to show the world who we belong to. Amen.